0: Welcome to the Waukesha Bible Church podcast. We believe the Bible tells a single story, and at the center of that story is Jesus. If you like what you hear today, additional sermons, teaching sessions,
1: and written material can be found on our website at WaukeshaBible.org. We hope you enjoy today's episode.
0: Good morning. Uh, this morning we are continuing our series in James. The passage that we will be studying this morning is James chapter three, verses thirteen through eighteen. Uh, would you all please stand for the reading of the Word? Who is wise in understanding among you by his good conduct? Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. But is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make it peace.
1: Thank you so much. You may be seated. I do welcome you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is always great to see each one of you out. I feed off the gathering. As a public speaker, we need an audience. And so I'm very, very thankful that you are here. I'm very thankful for those who are watching online. We do welcome you. You are a part of our gathering. And it excites me that we are here, that we have opportunity to look at the Word of God together. We should all pull energy from the gathering. God does something in our midst And we are very thankful for that. We have just read James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. I've entitled the study, Living Well in an Unwell World. Living well in an unwell world. The world in which we live is sick. God has placed us here as light in a dark place. So what does it mean to live well in an unwell world? If someone were to pull the fire alarm in our church, I'm not quite sure what the response would be. But I am sure that we would respond in a certain way if someone began yelling fire, ringing even a dinner bell. It alarms us, it wakes us up to something that is about to happen. When we yell fire, when we blow the horn, we are calling people to action. We're calling them to arms. What is the threat? As a fellowship who confesses that Jesus is God, that he was crucified, he died, and on the third day he rose again, and that he sits at the Father's right hand, and that he will return and judge the living and the dead. We recognize that as the people of God, we are the offspring of the woman's seed. And because of that, we know that there is the offspring of the serpent's seed. There are two worlds in which we live. James begins to accent that idea. He speaks of a wisdom that is from above and a wisdom that is from below. And he identifies that wisdom that is from below as demonic. When we get to chapter 4, verses 1 and following, James says to be a friend of the world is to be the enemy of God. Those are very stark, sobering, polarizing words. They are opposites. We have in our text the pulling of the fire alarm. And what is the threat? Babel. And what is our response? Well, James will tell us that it is humble service. Humble service. When we think of the call to arms, we think of swords, torches, and pitchforks. And yet James is telling us that our response to the threat is humble service. It would be far easier to attack and overthrow than to pray and serve. I'm praying that we are awakened to what is being said. It is easy to come to church and simply hear, wah, 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 wah. As noted, it would be far easier to attack and overthrow than to pray and serve. Yet, this is what we are called to do. There is a genuine enemy. There is a genuine threat. We are under attack The alarm has been pulled, it has been sounded, now what is our response to that threat? James says, it is humble service. One pastor wrote, the simple truth is that what the world regards as truth, the Christian regards as error. What the world regards as of ultimate value, the Christian regards as dung or rubbish, To put it as simple as possible, the world and the church tell two entirely different and utterly contrary stories about the nature of reality. The meaning of life where truth and goodness may be found and what the ultimate destiny of mankind will be. The tragedy in our day is that instead of watching the church stand firmly in opposition to the world, calling it to repentance, men and women who say they know Jesus do everything in their power to merge the two. Thus, what we hear so often today is not a message of conviction and confrontation, but one of compromise and convenience. And I would argue, and I come out of a context where the world was always seen as your enemy and you were always opposed to it, which indeed you should be, but our opposition is manifested, according to James, by our humble service to it. What does that look like? Well, James tells us that. James gives us in our text positions that are opposed to each other. There is a wisdom which is from above and then one that is from below. He uses the word earthly, natural, demonic. And the one from above shows itself in good conduct and deeds done in the spirit of meekness. And the other breeds disorder in every vile practice. Two versions of wisdom are stated, one which is the real deal from above and one which is an imitation of the real thing. We'll learn the difference between those who pretend to be wise and those who really are. The text speaks of a wisdom that is from above. Now in verse 13 of our passage, it says, who is wise? And many would suggest that this is the tie-in to the previous paragraph that addressed teachers. Teachers were often identified in that context as those who were indeed wise and understanding. Who is wise and understanding among you, and then it says, by his good conduct, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So somehow what the teacher says and what the teacher does, communicate. They speak to this idea of a wisdom that is indeed from above. The text is interesting. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. The word conduct is an interesting word. It has the idea of turning back or about. Prior to coming to Christ, you were in Adam and you were following. That's what Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 tells us. We were following the dictates of this world We were following the prince of the power of the air. We were giving in to the appetites of our flesh. We were its disciple. And when we came to Jesus, we turned around. Now, is the path walking in opposition to the world an easy path? Is it a path that is met by resistance? Is it hard? Yes. It is different. Why? Because we are going in the opposite direction. James says in chapter 3, verse 13... By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. We are a fellowship out of order. We're not in disorder. We are simply out of step with the ways of the world. We are out of order. And it's not one where we pick up pitchfork, torch, and sword, but we exercise ourselves in good conduct. That through our works, we have this meekness of wisdom. Jesus, in Matthew 23, the strongest rebuke that Jesus extends to the religious class, he says to his audience, the scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses, therefore all that they tell you do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds, speaking to the teachers, For they say things and do not do them. The New International Version translates that last phrase. They do not practice what they preach. We've all heard that. The ESV, for they preach, but they do not practice. As the people of God, we say a lot of great things. But we must equally do the great thing. And what is the great thing? A conduct that is... In opposition to, but what is this good conduct? And we'll see that as it is noted in the wisdom that is from above. It says that the works we do in verse 13 are in the meekness of wisdom. The meekness of wisdom. That word only occurs three times in the New Testament. It is found in our text, chapter 3, verse 13. It occurs in James chapter 1, verse 21, receive with meekness the engrafted word. And then in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, where it says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer, how? To every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness. I think we have a tendency to be scared of the word meekness. A sibling word occurs three times as well in the New Testament. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, it says, Blessed are the meek. Now, it doesn't mean blessed are the weak. It says, blessed are the meek. Matthew 21, verse 5, when Jesus came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, the text cited was, Behold, thy king comes unto thee meek. In Matthew 11, verse 19, one of our favorite passages Jesus has come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and learn of me, for I am meek. So the text tells us that as the people of God, as teachers of the word, practice what you preach. What does that look like? By his good conduct, a conduct that is contrary to that of the wisdom that comes from below. Show your work in the meekness of wisdom. All of this is tying for us together. This meekness that describes our conduct as the church of God, as Christians, has nothing to do with weakness or docility or shrinking. It has everything to do with uh, humility, quietness, and peacefulness. And again, think of the text. What does this meekness look like and sound like? Jesus himself stood resolute when he turned his face toward Jerusalem. There was this quiet strength that Jesus had in resisting the onslaught of the serpent seed. He set his face and he headed toward the cross. Jesus, in that action, is meek. Jesus was quiet when he was brutally whipped and beaten. Jesus stood steadfast when falsely accused. His strength showed itself when he bore the sins of the world. This is the meekness we are speaking of in James 3.13. That kind of strength, that kind of steadfastness, that kind of resolve. I do not read of Jesus rallying his allies in an armed revolt against the authorities. I do not read of Jesus cussing and swearing and creating divisions. ...against opposing views, ethnicities, and conditions. What I read and see is Jesus quietly serving the widows and orphans... ...regardless of their status or station. Jesus quietly went about serving the undeserved and overlooked. What I read and see is Jesus calling people to faith in the promises of God. I do not read of Jesus caving in or cowering under anything... ...by his good conduct... He showed his works in the meekness of wisdom. This is what Jesus is doing. I see and read of Jesus praying for his enemies and for those who despitefully use him. This is the good conduct showing itself in meekness and wisdom. There is a threat. The threat is real. The attack is genuine. What is our response in sounding the alarm? Pray for those who despitefully use you. By your good conduct, serve one another. We can be more vocal. We can be more visible. But let it be vocal and visible in our good conduct done in the meekness of wisdom. James then shows for us these two opposing ideas. Notice the text. Who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct, a conduct which is flying in the face of the serpent see let him show his works how though in the meekness of wisdom But if you have bitter and and listen to the words If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts Do not boast and be false to the truth That kind of conduct that kind of attitude Is contrary to truth This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Sharp words. Sharp words. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. And you and I appear to live in a context that seems out of place. It's in disarray. It's in disorder. And every vile practice seems to be manifesting itself and appears to be increasing. And here we sit. Such displays our expressions in the outworking of a wisdom that is demonic. For where jealousy and selfish, verse 16, selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice. We live in a fractured world. And James now shows us what this wisdom from below looks like. Three things are noted within the text. What earthly wisdom looks like? He uses these two words inside our passage, bitter, jealousy, and selfish ambition. Only you can answer that question for yourself. Perhaps someone very close to you could point that out for you, but you know whether or not you have bitterness or jealousy or selfish ambition within your soul, within your heart manifested in your Action James would simply tell us that this stuff is not from God In fact, it is coming from the opposite. It is demonic This is what that wisdom looks like and where does this earthly wisdom come from It's demonic Again notice how James polarizes these two ideas You either have wisdom that is from above or you have wisdom that is from below this wisdom that we see manifested in Babel is demonic. That which comes from above, we'll note in just a moment, but James says that this wisdom is earthly. It is natural, sensual, and it is demonic. And what is the result of this earthly wisdom? Well, notice the text. As a consequence of this, there is disorder. And every vile practice. Now, at that point, we are perhaps saying, Amen. And we can start listing it, can't we? We look at what's out there right now and we think, Man, the world is in disarray. The world is fractured. It is broken. And it seems as if everything around us that we have been comfortable with is collapsing. It's being stripped away. Every vile practice. And we can perhaps pointed out what that looks like i could speak of media moguls and hollywood elite and political pundits and you know we could have a a, uh just a, a joyous time pointing out the sins of the world that bothers me out there but you know what bothers me more what's here what bothers me more is not just what's here But what's here? But James says, as a consequence of this earthly, demonic wisdom, there is this disarray. There is this display of every vile practice. And we could name it. Failing families through decentralization and irresponsibility. We have this acceptance of immorality and unbiblical sexual expression. We no longer identify people by their born gender. It becomes problematic. Undisciplined children with a disregard for parental authority and social governance, unbridled debt spending toward convenience and pleasure, oppressive power and abuse, skewed views, polarizing divisive race distinctions rather than celebrating race unity. Significant greed and isolation godless and unguided Education coupled with power hungry politics. I mean we could go on and on and on and we're all like yeah now you're preaching brother pat All of this causes disorder We see this playing out before our very eyes Yet let us not think that this is about them and not us I See what I perhaps don't like but now what do I do? What is James calling me to do? When we read of our own own committing acts of immorality all the while portraying the face of piety, we are guilty. We are guilty of these same things. Tragically, none of us are above or beyond the fall. It is only as we lean into Jesus and the working of the Holy Spirit that we can be kept from such vile failure. So, James calls us to this good conduct done in the meekness of wisdom. He then says there's another wisdom that is opposed to that, and it's the wisdom that is demonic. We've seen what it looks like and where it comes from and results in disorder and every vile act. He then tells us what that wisdom looks like from above. We're like that lighthouse that's planted, and the waves are crashing against us, and yet while it crashes, it stands... And it proclaims light. It shows light. This passage has structure. Beginning in verse 17, James sets in opposition to this demonic wisdom, the wisdom that is from above. And notice, there's a sequence to what James says. First, it is pure. It's pure. That's where it originates. The wisdom that is from above is implanted in you By the Holy Spirit, the same word family, the pure and holy are the same. We receive from God in our salvation the abiding Holy Spirit, the pure Spirit, and that Spirit works in us and through us to those around us. What is that work then that is seen by others when this wisdom is on display? The text says first it is pure, and then notice the words. You know, my problem with the passage is that I, it's not that I don't know what it's saying. I just don't like what it's saying. First, it is pure. Then, this wisdom that is from above produces these things peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. What a boatload of words peaceable. Somehow, although I am in the world, we'll note this next week, I am not of the world. And as believers, we are in the church, but living out in Babel. What does that look like? It's peaceable. Romans 12, 17 through 21 says, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. But if your enemy is hungry, do what? Now, you've got to be kidding me, right? Feed my enemy? If he is thirsty, do what? See, that's that good conduct. We're now flying in the face of the world. And we're doing it with meekness of spirit. That's what it looks like. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And we're like, yes! Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome the evil with the good. It then describes gentle, open to reason. And I'm like, I'm going to exegete this thing so that I can clearly understand what it says. Because truly, it can't mean what it says. That if I have the wisdom from above, which indeed I do, with the abiding Holy Spirit, then my good conduct is marked by peaceable, gentle, open to reason. The word gentle used in our text is different than what is commonly found inside the New Testament. And it can be translated with the word equitable. It's easy to be entreated. It's willing to yield. It's open to persuasion. I'm like, I I, got to believe James has no idea what he's talking about. James can't be in our context. Otherwise, James would just be going at it. But James is speaking to a church that's displaced and living in a hostile context. Rome was no friend to the Christian churches under persecution. And James says the wisdom that is from above is peaceable and gentle, it's open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. Impartial and sincere. I know what I believe about the issues that are on our plate as a church The Bible is clear But can I hold that stance? With meekness and wisdom Can I be peaceable? Can I have the conversation without coming to blows? And then he says full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial it's Sincere one author noted concerning the word impartial, it refers to a person who refuses to make value judgments based on anything other than the principles and truths of God's word. In other words, this is the person who takes no note of individuals based on appearance and simply judges the situation from the word of God. It doesn't mean he or she never passes judgment or lacks discernment or the backbone To stand It simply means that this person bases whatever judgments are drawn on the principles of god's word Because of who I am as a christian because I believe the bible I by position are in opposition to this flow So I have to set myself and stand Can I do that? With meekness can I in that stance be peaceable? And then finally, there is this natural progression concerning this wisdom which is from above. First pure, then it is peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial and sincere. And then finally, in summary or conclusion, verse 18, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. By us doing the right thing, and what is the right thing? To the hungry we give food, to the thirsty we give drink. What is doing the right thing, we serve. We go out and do the good. James says as a consequence of that action on our part, a harvest of righteousness is going to be sown in peace, in peace by those who make peace. What is this harvest? What if nothing we do makes a difference at our local and national governance at that level? What if nothing we do? What if all of our good works done in the meekness of wisdom are rejected and scorned? Then what do we do? Are you hearing what I'm saying? James says the alarm has been pulled, the call has been made. Now go out and do the good thing. Do the good work. And what if in the doing of good, it is rejected and scorned? Then what do we do? What happens after that? Do we think we are the first ones in history to be confronted by this situation in which we live? Or what we perceive to be the increasing rejection of the Christian ethic? Do we think our times historically are actually unique? If you think so, you've not read history. What do we do? What do we tell our suffering and persecuted brothers and sisters in countries where the government, both local and national, hate them? It hates them and it drives them underground. What do we say to them? What does the text say to them? Do we tell them to fight back and throw off the ungodly authority? I don't think so. I would suggest to you we tell them to stay the course, stay your course, hold fast to Christ, and if necessary, die. Jesus was led as a lamb to slaughter. He did not open his mouth. Our good conduct done in the spirit of meekness is an investment of blood, and the outcome is a harvest of righteousness. Listen to the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth. And he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. And by the way, who is Jesus describing? He's describing his people. Are we his people? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Notice the vocabulary and how it parallels what James says in our present passage. Remember that James is pulling heavily from the Proverbs and from the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. That's what our text is speaking to. And blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, a harvest of righteousness, sown by those in peace. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. This is who we are. We are these people. Rejoice and be glad. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing that the trying of your faith works the patience. For your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth by your good works. Listen to the text. But if the salt has become tasteless, if you've become just like the world, and now you manifest or exhibit qualities that are reflective of a wisdom that is demonic, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a light and put it under a basket but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Look at verse 16. James, in this paragraph, calls us to good conduct. A conduct that is in opposition to what is out there in the world. This is a good conduct. And that good conduct is gentle, It's meek. It's sowing the seed of peace and we have then a harvest of righteousness. And what is the consequence of such a seed and such a sowing? Let your light shine before men in such a way that they will see that good work and they will what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. Do we believe that? Can we believe that? We're in the season of Lent. We go back to the Creed. I believe in God, the Father, Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe. We need to remind ourselves of what is true. We memorize the Apostles' Creed, we memorize the Beatitudes. And we remember how this is what the Christ life looks like in a culture of conflict. This is what living well in an unwell world looks like. During this short season of pandemic, I am confronted by what I see happening and what I know the word of God to teach. What am I supposed to say and do to this church as we gather together and we press forward? There are moments when I am torn by the polarization and isolation that's brought on by all of this. It weighs on me. It shadows me. And my hope is to stay the course in preaching, teaching Jesus, hold fast to Jesus, and if necessary and prayerfully, die well. Die well. Do we wish to change our world locally, nationally, globally? Than live the Christ life. How do we do such a thing? By serving one another. This is James. James calls us to action. What do we do with what we heard? Well, let me offer you five closing thoughts. Number one, let us invade our community with humility. Invade your community with humility. Proverbs 15, verses 1 through 4, verse 1 reads, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Folks, let us learn how to respond to those with whom we differ with a gentleness, with a meekness, with peace. Secondly, practice what you preach. We see this in verse 13. Luke chapter 7, verse 35 says that wisdom is known by her children. Let us be peacemakers. Practice what you preach. The third thing we see in this text is that do not confuse the church with the world. Matthew ten sixteen says, Be as wise as serpents, but as harmless as doves. Fully recognize that the context in which we live out the horizontal is a hostile context. And the church is not the world. Thus, let us be as wise as serpents, but as harmless as doves. The fourth thing concerning James 3, 13 through 18 is learn to be a peacemaker and not a covenant breaker. Keep your word and speak the truth with deep-seated humility. Learn how to be the means of bringing peace rather than disorder and division and heartache. And then finally, learn to give an answer, an apology, and not an attack, a polemic. 1 Peter chapter 3 reads in verse 13, Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed, and do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense, an apology. A polemic is this idea of hostility, of being at war. James invites us to ask for wisdom, a wisdom that is from above. He then shows us what that wisdom looks like in real time. Friends, the gospel calls us to arms, to attack our enemies with prayer, good behavior, and humble service. Let us pray. Father, we put ourselves under the workings of the Holy Spirit, and we ask him to wash our hearts and minds so that in this moment we might think straight and act right. We cannot do this ourselves. We believe and trust you can and are. Change us so that we will stay the course, hold fast to Christ, and if necessary, die well. In Jesus' name, amen.